We want to thank our patrons who support the podcast. Al's Place Leap Fansite, Bourbon and Board Games, Carolyn, Cosplay Dad, Joanne Bartlett, Dana Bias, Rich Bork, Kevin and Kevin Butcher, Carol Davis, Dex Lower, Dermot Devlin, Barry Donovan, Brian Dreadful, Troy Evers, Larry Ganny, Jason Geis, Michelle Hoffman, Amy Holtkamp, Bess A. Corey, Lady Eternal, Rob Nunn, Oddly Specific with Audra, Christopher Redman, Adrian Saul, Karen Saxon, Mike Stouffer, Heather Strabiak, Damon Sugamelli, Larry Trujillo, Stuart Williams, Jill Wilson, and our anonymous donors. If you would like to financially support the podcast, you can do that in a couple of ways. You can do so monthly through Patreon, and our website is patreon.com slash fateswidewheel. That is patreon.com slash fateswidewheel. Or you can make a one-time donation at Buy Me a Coffee. That, uh, that website is buymeacoffee.com slash fateswidewheel. And again, that is buymeacoffee.com slash fateswidewheel. If you're not in a place where you can financially support us, but you would like to give support in another way, a great way is to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast from, whether that be Apple Podcasts or anywhere else. Giving us a review, giving us a rating really helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate it. It's so funny because uh, a couple of weeks ago, I know when we were conversing a little bit on Twitter, Matt, and I asked you about uh, something about Doctor Who, and and, and you mentioned about uh, a Dalek prop, and I, I immediately jumped to it. it's from Remembrance of Daleks, isn't it? And uh, the reason why I said that wasn't because I knew, although I feel like I probably had some sort of vague memory that you had said something at one point about this. It's just because that's like that was one of my first uh doctor who stories ever that I, that I saw same yeah and so and i love it i love it to this day in fact the funny thing is is i can remember a time loving it and other people not liking it much at least that was kind of the vibe that i got mm-hmm. uh and so i kind of kept it on the down low that i liked that episode so much or that story so much and then it feels like it it feels like now it's held in much higher esteem than it was say 20 25 years ago yeah and, and, and so now it's like great to be able to be like, yeah, I've, I've always loved it. Um, so, so when, when I, when it was true, when it was like, yeah, that's where your, 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 your screen used Dalek prop came from. I was just sort of like, man, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. I, Remembrance is one of my first really clear memories of Doctor Who. Yeah. And I remember my mom having to like explain the, the sixties and the relevance to Doctor Who to me. Um, and it was one of the first that I had on VHS as well. So it's mm-hmm. one of the ones that I've seen the most. And yeah, I mean, I, I was a child of the eighties and nineties. I grew up loving Sylvester McCoy and having to yes. keep that a bit quiet around fandom, but right. he's had a, finally, uh, a Renaissance in the last few years, long overdue. I agree. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it, it's okay to like Sylvester McCoy now. Right. And, 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 and let's not forget Ace as well. Like uh, Sophie Aldred is just, I mean, she was yeah. one of the best things about the last couple of years of, of, of the classic series. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm so glad she was, you know, took part in the, um, the power of the doctor. I thought that that was, that, that yes. Was really cool. Yeah. It was so exciting awesome. to see her. Yeah. 
Just in um, case, I don't know if you're planning on keeping this material, but just in case you, you are, I should should make it clear. I don't actually have a Dalek prop. I've got a bit of right. like crappy <laughs> exploded Dalek, which is even better. Imagine pe- <laughs> people are thinking that I've got like one of the full size, yeah. You know, Right. And just for a little added context before I hit the record button uh, to, to bring it back to Quantum Leap, believe it or not, uh, one of the reasons why we started talking about this is because there's a poster over your shoulder uh, uh, that that maybe could be perhaps uh, from uh, A Leap of Faith. Uh, it's a poster that Sam walks past. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Where did that come from? Yeah, so that... This is uh, this is the level of research uh, in Beyond the Mirror Image Volume Two, which I know we'll we'll talk more about. But um, yeah, so there's one point where Sam walks past a couple of posters in Leap of Faith, uh, a couple of boxing posters, and now we've got the episodes in high def, which um, we, <laughs> we didn't really have uh, much when I was. Uh, working on the first edition, I have started to freeze frame and like look at stuff going on Uh, in the background uh. so these two posters came up and i i looked them both up and um one of them is a well-known poster that was in star trek city on the edge of forever and about a hundred other tv shows and films (laughs) and the other doesn't seem to have been in anything that i can find and that's the one that i got when i saw it on ebay because i thought well if it's not been on anything else maybe it's actually a Quantum Leap original. Equally, maybe it's not. The one that is much more common and has appeared in Star Trek and everything else, there is about half a page in Beyond the Mirror Image, Volume 2, dedicated to just listing all the times this poster appears uh, before it appears <laughs> on Quantum Leap. So that's that's the kind of level of analysis you can expect. The history of a poster that Sam walks past. So much more exciting than it sounds. I think it's well. Welcome fantastic. to the show. It's <laughs> welcome to the show, Matt. It's been quite a while since we have done a cold open on Fate's Wire, yeah. Wheel. but welcome back. It has been five years since we've had the chance to talk to you. Wow, in person. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's so good to be back. It's so good to be talking to you guys again. Um, yeah, I mean, it it, it doesn't. I know we've spoken a bit about this um, over the, the last few days and over the last couple of hours because it doesn't seem like that long. Because especially since the new show's been back, um, we've been we've been talking so much over Messenger. But uh, yeah, this is this is the first time we're actually seeing each other and appreciating how how we've all retained our youth. Um, <laughs> you flatter you flatter uh, so we've told this story a few times before but for uh, newer listeners who aren't familiar matt and his original edition of beyond the mirror image was kind of the inspiration for, for fate's wide wheel getting started so um i first heard about the book you did an interview on the quantum leap podcast like i think like way back 2015 2016 and then i listened to the episode and then about six months later i finally bought the book uh, for myself, I bought a copy, and then I bought a copy for Sam as a wedding gift. I got them a proper wedding gift. I got him and Jessica a proper <laughs> wedding gift, and they got him another wedding gift. And I can't remember, like, I said something like, like as we were leaving the reception, like, hey, hey, I got you an extra gift. I got something I want to talk to you about later on. Just just, just want to just want to plant that seed there. Yeah. And then... Uh, and also and told me not to take later, it. Not to take it on the honeymoon, not to open it before we yes. got back. Like, I was like, don't, don't, yeah, because you will, yeah. 
because uh, Jessica would not like me then. And then a uh, couple months later, Fate Wide Wheel got started. And I'm such a huge fan of Fates Like Wheel. I love what you guys do. And I've been following you since day one. So <laughs> to, to know that um, in any way that was inspired by the book is just, uh, it's kind of mind-blowing and uh, <laughs> a wee bit incestuous, but that's fine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, we, you know, one of the things too that that's interesting to me is the fact that uh, we reference your book so much on the podcast and then in preparations for beyond the mirror image two, you asked if you know if we could share like a library of all of our episodes and now you know you you told us earlier that you have referenced us in the new book which even further perpetuates that that sort of strange incestuousness and it's really an honor for us to be honest with you there's uh, there's two elements to that because um one of which is there's there's direct quotes from all the new interviews that have taken place on Fates Wide Wheel and QLP uh, over the last five or six years. But the one thing that it is not so it's not so easy to directly reference, but it is equally valuable. Um, I went back and listened to every episode of QLP, every episode of Fates Wide Wheel, a couple of other podcasts as well, and used it for inspiration just while I was re-watching the episode. So although there's like direct direct quotes from your interviews with with Jean-Pierre and various other people, there's also points that you guys raised that made me think, ah, I hadn't considered that. And because of the, the nature of the book and the type of book it is, it, it, it's not like I could say, ah, and Dennis Freimeyer thought this. <laughs> uh, but it got me thinking, and I was able yeah. to then... Take, take those thoughts, repurpose them for myself and say, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. That's a good observation. And I, I noted that. So th- there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that um, isn't directly attributed to you guys, but uh, has been inspired by things that you've said or points that you've made. And it's, it's all part of that melting pot. So it's really hard to pick apart yeah. now. Right. Yeah. And, and I will say when we, I do not remember a lot of points we made during our original episodes just the byproduct of being a tired dad and, and a lack of sleep so i'm going to read some great ideas in this book and it's, it's going to turn out like they're, they're from our original episodes and i will have and i will have no memory and the swiss cheese and the yes yeah well uh, you know one of the things too i mean I, I, I mean this just because for us when we started the podcast we literally didn't know if there would be five people that would listen to us. Um, and I'm still surprised that there are more than five people that listen to us and that we're not related to all of them. But uh, I, I just feel very privileged to be kind of a part of, you know, the work that, that you're doing and that you've done and to be able to have the opportunity to, to speak to you. This sounds so weird. And, 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 and I don't mean it to sound weird or certainly not, you know, self-congratulatory anyway, but to feel like we're peers discussing something that we're all passionate about and that we all, you know, that we love so much. Uh, because when this started, uh, it very much felt like to me, it was just sort of like, Oh, Matt, Matt sits at the, at the head of the table. And, you know, I hope that one day I can sit at the table and, you know, and then just to realize how silly that is, but it definitely, you know, it really did kind of feel that way because of all the work and and the effort that it was clear you put into beyond the mirror image. Well, thank you. And it, it doesn't sound weird. Um, but but mostly because I, I think I've been there in Doctor Who fandom for many mm. years. 
um, kind of uh, knowing the people that are at, at the head of the table, but but never quite getting there myself. And that's that's fine. I have my own relationship with Doctor Who fandom. Constantly, I don't know where I sit. Um, <laughs> it, it, I think I think because I wasn't really a part of fandom until I wrote this book. Um, so it, it never ceases to surprise me that uh, anyone looks at me as anything other than this random guy that that wrote a book. Um, but I absolutely have always felt that we're peers, and um, I'm I, I I've, I've been excited the last few days at getting the opportunity to talk on your podcast because the stuff, as I say, I've been a fan of you guys since day one, and um, and the stuff you're putting out is great. So I feel I feel privileged and lucky to be here. But <laughs> we, we could spend all night just talking about how much we love each other. Yeah, right, but right. glad you're here. So I want to, because you've said this before, and I can't remember if it was like directly like on your Facebook feed or in one of our messages back and forth, but you said like, you know, Quantum Leap isn't even your favorite TV show ever. How much dedication do you give to your favorite TV show? <laughs> I, have, I have a Doctor Who website that's been running for 25 years next year that has, uh, that. that's where I really first started doing really deep levels of analysis on some weird ass shit <laughs> sorry you, you don't do beeping do you that's we, okay we, we do not do we, beeping we, we've got an explicit that. tag yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah um yeah so no, i mean i um i think quantum leap by virtue of the fact that's all right so so with something like doctor who everyone and his uncle has written a book about Doctor Who and <laughs> tried to pick apart different elements of it. So I, uh, myself and a, a friend of mine, Kevin, have been running this Doctor Who website for 25 years where we try and take the really obscure stuff and, um, and, and, and pick it apart and analyze it. But there is, there is slim pickings. Um, <laughs> today I started working on a page, um, and this, this will just give you an idea of the kind of way my mind works. Um, for the second season of Torchwood, the, the Doctor Who spin-off, um, BBC Two, one of the other channels in the UK, not the channel that, that premiered it, BBC Two was running a pre-Watershed version with edits made. It's only been shown once, um, wow. but I got hold of copies of them. And, and Torchwood is quite juvenile and has a lot of reference to sex and a lot of swear words thrown in just for no reason other than to say, hey, we're post-Watershed. And... Um, I've started going through and tracking the edits and I'm creating a page at the moment for the website that just lists all the times where someone said bollocks or let's have sex and, <laughs> and they got edited out. But what this all comes around to is um, Doctor Who. And on, honestly, I know I've said Quantum Leap's not my favourite show ever. I, I may, Maybe it is now. I don't know. It's, I find it hard <laughs> to pick favourites. But Doctor Who, I've, I've been in that fandom for years doing that kind of thing. And there's only limited things that you can do that's new. Quantum Leap, what inspired me to do the book was that I couldn't find anything like this at all, That where, where someone had just said, even about an element of it, I want to put as much possible information into one place. Everything that anyone's written about the show has been kind of, okay, here's some reviews, here's some thoughts, here's some interviews. And it was always kind of scratching at the surface. No one's ever done the stuff that uh, it, Doctor Who fans take for granted, where there's, there's writers like Andrew Pixley and David Brunt, who I, I know and um, respect the hell out of, who, who talk about things like, well, on this date, 
this was being recorded and Tom Baker had this type of sandwich for lunch <laughs> and no one had done done any of that level. And this is important stuff, of course. Um, no one had done that kind of level of research for Quantum Leap, which is is what made me think, I, I want to do this, even if at the time Quantum Leap wasn't my favourite show. It was like, maybe now, six years down the line, uh, maybe it is. But at the time, it certainly wasn't. I just thought, this is something I could get my teeth into because no one else has done it. Mm. And that was the inspiration. Yeah, that's totally understandable. And it's absolutely true. I mean, we never had had anything that was so exhaustive and, and you know, was was able to approach this show from so many different angles, you know, from obviously the behind the scenes stuff and the conception of the show. But, you know, even the, the, the um, you know, foreign language titles for the show, for instance, and, and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, all, all the little, uh, I mean, obviously, like all the little flubs or, or, or whatever continuity errors and stuff is there too, but there's just so much more and, 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 and obviously all the ephemera and going into the the comic books and the novels and, and, and unproduced scripts. And I, I, I just think that for me as a fan, I know when I got the book, it, it really, it, it just felt like somebody had handed me a roadmap to all of the things that I had wanted to know. Um, but didn't and and also gave me the opportunity to you know obviously inspire the podcast but i think gave me the opportunity to rekindle a lot of my love for the show because it had been a while since i you know really watched it and really kind of you know sunk into it and mm. and and going through the book you know it felt like this weird thing where i was simultaneously you know talking to an old friend because there's a lot of stuff that you know i was aware of like i knew i mean i trolled the boards on AOL back in the you know the early 90s and mid 90s you know talking to people and trying to get information about the show and and in the books that I had read, but there was just so much more and so much more depth and, and, and so much more information. And, and again, to have it all right there uh, uh, at our fingertips. So all of this said, it begs the question, why Beyond the Mirror Image 2? Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> beyond the, this goes back to Beyond the Mirror Image 1. Um I had a a self-set deadline and the self-set deadline made a lot of sense because I'd got to a point where the the research that I was ever going to be able to do was starting to draw to a close, especially because I wasn't a name in fandom. I didn't know anyone that I could reach out to and network with. Um, I was just doing my own thing by reading a lot of stuff, listening to a lot of stuff. And I reached that self-set deadline and finished the book, but I didn't actually finish the book. What I did was created two copies of the book, one of which I tidied up a bit visually and sent off to print, and the other just thought, well, I'll just keep this to one side, and anytime I learn anything new, I'll add stuff in. <laughs> um, the first one goes to print. People get it. People start talking about it. People start coming to me and saying, oh, if only I'd have known you were working on this, I'd have shared something with you, or I'd have told you about this. And so this this kind of weird fake other draft just kept getting stuff bolted onto it and bolted onto it and growing and growing i then joined the quantum leap podcast so i started working with chris and allison and getting involved in in new interviews and the amount of new information and corrected information as well there's there's you know, some some things that i just got flat out wrong in the first edition but the amount of new information that's come to light um it it almost became an inevitability um as I say, that 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 first draft never really finished, but possibly it would have just you know, died a death uh, over time. <laughs> but it it just grew and grew to the point where actually, no, you know what, it's it's got to get out there. And 
with the new series just around the corner early this year, it, it became something that that really just had to happen. But even by that point, I had so much extra information in there and I had enough information that I could start justifying splitting it into two volumes. And that was one of the things that I decided very early on. Um, one of the big things that I found, no, t- two, two big things I found disappointing about the first edition. One was the fact that I was working very much in isolation and I knew there were gaps. And if you look in the first edition and particularly look at seasons four and five, which neither you guys, well, you guys weren't around at the time. The Quantum Leap podcast hadn't covered seasons four and five, so there was very little in the way of interview material. It's a lot thinner. Um, so there was there was that. And there's the fact that because I had a strict page count of 800, um, just because I, I couldn't find a book binder that would do more than 800 pages, I had to use a very small typeface. I could have edited myself. I could have taken out lots of words and, and made the text bigger, <laughs> but I didn't want to take out words. By this point, I, I'd got every bit of knowledge that I could find in. So I just decreased the typeface. And as I started to add more information in, it became clear, actually, you know, this this can be two discrete volumes, one dedicated to the series, one dedicated to the appendices. And finally, we can allow the, the design a bit of space to breathe. Um and also give seasons four and five particularly um the the extra attention they deserve uh that was that was lacking in the first edition but also just generally so much more so much more mm. stuff so i'm interested because you, you said before i can't remember it was an update email or elsewhere that there were some things in the book that you got flat out wrong like what's an example of of something that that you found that you found since then that that is updated information in the new edition um it so it's mostly little stuff um i i can't think of anything where like there's anything in the behind the scenes guides or whatever where actually there was anything big that was wrong some gaps for sure and i can talk a bit about those but uh i know for example in the um uh, one thing that really comes to mind is there's there's a reference at one point to a shotgun wedding um which i just totally misunderstood at the time what a shotgun wedding was and in the (laughs) in the timeline if you look at it you'll you'll see that it gets referred to as like a double suicide um that's just that's just mentioned in there Mm. um in the timeline as well i want to say al gets married twice somehow when i was putting the timeline together i Mm. had i had al and beth Obviously, Al gets married twice. Al and Beth get married twice. Uh, in the oh, timeline. sure. So there's a few kind of almost typos, not not quite typos in the traditional sense, but things that w- when you look through it again, another another round of proofreading would have. I got gotcha. you. I thought there was something you had said, something like originally you thought like some of the scripts out there, you had originally thought they had come closer to production than what they actually did. Yes, and that those were getting moved around to different sections. Yeah, so that's that's another big one. Um, so yeah, there's uh, the, there's two. So in in the first edition, um, I I treat the uh, the unmade scripts as being effectively canon or as as close mm. to as possible, and I've done the same thing this time around. Um, but there were two scripts uh, that were produced as spec scripts and. and at the time that I was making the first edition, I thought they'd actually got as far as getting to the production office and that they were you know, maybe on the slate for season two or three and then just didn't quite happen. Mm. And it became clear with some of the 
the further investigations I did that actually it was it, it was a spec script in the truest sense in that the writer had put it together, put these scripts together as examples of the writing that she could do so she could sell her gotcha. writing skills to other shows. Um, I'm really proud of the work that I did on those. So I've kept that, but I've shifted it into the appendices and said, this is not, this is not canon, even in the sense of, well, Belisario commissioned it and then it got cancelled. So sure. yes, thank you for reminding me about that. That's a big one that's, that's moved along. Oh, that's interesting. You know, go, going back just real quick, I do want to say that I think that your reasoning for producing, uh, you know, this new edition, uh, double volume edition, I think is spot on. I, I can't imagine, frankly, a better reason to want to update something. And clearly, obviously, the you know the the revival series I think provides us with with the opportunity to talk more at length about something new. But the opportunity, in particular, with seasons four and five, like you were mentioning, um, to get you know more information in there and mine new details is fascinating to me. Um, is there something that you learned? in particular about season five, but obviously if there's something in season four that you learned through the course of, you know, doing this, that caused you to have a completely different perspective on the season as a whole. I'm not trying to suggest that you came away from it thinking like, this is the finest season of Quantum Leap ever, but I'm just curious if if, if it brought any new context to bear on the season, uh, you know, in the course of, of, of your research for the, for the new edition. I mean, look, I love season five. Uh, so, <laughs> um, finest season ever in some ways. Yes, I love the gimmicks. Um, I wouldn't say that. Um, I would say, I mean, there's there's some big stuff in there. Like when when I first went to print, uh, we knew nothing about the end of Mirror Image, and a lot of stuff has come to light over the last five or six years um, that I've been able to put into context and some of that with my QLP colleagues, but also other bits of bits of information out there. Um, no, I, I think, all right. So one of the things that's become not, maybe not become clear because I think we all knew it anyway, but I've been able to draw out information from interviews at the time is the amount of struggles that they went through just to, to get through that fifth season. Mm. We all knew they were on the line. We all knew there were budget cuts. Um, but in the first edition, I was effectively saying, look, here's this episode. Here's what happened in it. And maybe here's an actor saying, I had a nice experience on it. <laughs> now there's a lot more, there's far more information in from the production personnel um, and the writers, uh, the producers, the directors, uh, kind of explaining those struggles. And like I say, we we knew this. This isn't a surprise, but it makes it a much more interesting story um, of the five years where at the start of the show, uh, as you'll be familiar with in the first edition, you know, you, you've got all these quotes from Don and Deborah about the ideas behind it and the the passion that they were showing and all the opportunities they had. And it kind of tails off a little bit in the first edition, whereas in the second edition, it now shows how that that converted into the compromises that had to be made and, yeah, everything they had to do just to to keep the show alive. Mm. That's fascinating to me. And one of the things that I'm, I'm very interested in, and it's funny, even before you mentioned this, the kind of the follow-up question I wanted to ask is when it comes to the vision for the, you know, for the show overall, um, there's a lot of stuff that Dennis and I have speculated about and just maybe picked up on, you know, 
based off of little interviews or snippets here, even things that are in the first edition of the book, having that clearer picture of the compromises that had to be made towards the end of the series. Did you, did you come away with, you know, kind of any greater appreciation perhaps for like Deborah's vision, I think towards the end of the series was very different from Don's vision of the series. And I'm curious as to, you know, what information maybe you found to specifically illustrate that as opposed to maybe just having to kind of read between the lines of certain interviews or things here or there. Yeah. I think, um, in terms of Don and Deborah, um, there's still a certain amount of reading between the lines. Uh, sure. Even speaking to the production <laughs> team, you know, we, we've we've had uh, producers that have said, yeah, th- things were happening, their marriage was deteriorating, it wouldn't be professional of me to comment. Um, of course, right, but, right. But even in that mm. sense, that says a lot. Right, yeah. So right. there's... Um, there's a lot more of that. Um, I think it, one of the things that I didn't appreciate um, just thinking about the producers is uh, Charles Floyd Johnson, I think his name is, the, the producer that came in in the fifth season effectively to kind of balance the artistic vision with the bookkeeping and um, and the, the part that he played with keeping things going and trying to get as much of that vision through as possible, that that's coming out a lot more clearly in the the kind of revised story that I'm able to to show. Mm. Was there ever any thought on your part, you know, with the interviews that that obviously you've been a part of, but also the interviews that you had access to that you didn't necessarily have at the first volume? Was there any uh, you know any, any ever thought on your part of? including even more of that of almost I, i'm not saying that you would want to do this and i think that it would it would be a detriment to the book as we know it but was there ever, ever any thought given to almost composing like an oral history like we've seen with other you know other books that are out there because some of those i think are really well done um i'm know, thinking of the office they they had one that come out a couple of years ago okay. and, and, and i was thinking star I, I, trek I, sure yeah. God, yeah. Oh God, I would love. I would love this book. I would love for you to write it, <laughs> <laughs> curate it. <laughs> I think it's um, it takes a certain skill set to write a book of that kind of quality. I know mm-hmm. that the type you're talking about that that would be a fantastic book. I don't know if I'm the person to write that. Um, sure. I have access to a lot of the materials. Trying to pull that together um, in a coherent way. I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's the next step. Um, but right now, I, I've tried to kind of, I always try and uh, pull direct quotes and citations where possible. So I try and get an element of that and a feel of, you know, it. this isn't me presenting a bunch of facts. This is the, the people that were involved at the time talking through me. Um, that sounds so pretentious, but... Um, <laughs> no, no, not but at it, all. The, uh, by, by putting as much stuff in quotes as possible... Um, I've brought that through, uh, but yeah, I, I stopped short of, of, of sharing that. And that's simply because I know what my limits are. I know, I know what my research skills are, where my strengths lie. And it's, it's in this kind of book, not that kind of book. Well, one of the things that I think that lends the book to being so authoritative is the fact that there are so many citations that you, Mm -hmm. you know, you do such a thorough job of documenting, you know, where you've gotten every piece of information. And it's also really cool, you know, for, for a nerd like me to look at that and see that and be like, oh, I should try and find that zine or, you know, find that, you know, video on YouTube or, or whatever. Um, because there, there is just so much stuff. I think that I learned, you know, with the first edition about things that were out there that I was just 
completely unaware of or mm. didn't have any possible access to. You know, being a, a teenager in, you know, suburban North Carolina, it was a little difficult to have, you know, the opportunity to get some of these zines. Same. And so, you know, I think that that's today, it's great because you can go to eBay and you can find stuff on there. Um, now, due to the revival series, slightly inflated prices, but, uh, you know, or even better yet, and this is something that I'd be curious about, it would be wonderful to curate a place where we could get, you know, scans or PDFs of these zines, you know, on like a, a drive or something that people could have access to, to share that a little bit more openly with the community. Because let's face it, at this point, it's not like anybody's making any money. It's not like there's any infringement that would occur on something like yes. that, you know? Right. Mm. Yeah, and I know... The, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I know um, uh, Brian Green's website, uh, quantumleapalsplace.com, has got a lot of extracts from fanzines. Um, and yeah, obviously, I've, I've got a lot of the, the raw materials on loan from another fan at the moment. And uh, yeah, it'd, it'd be great to share those more widely. Um, right now, the priority is is getting the information out of there and putting of it course. into a book. But uh, sure. yeah. So, so speaking of those, I know we, we've talked before that you had this latest edition, like almost ready to go. And then you got access to all of these <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit like how, how they came to be and, and how that changes what's going to be put out in this next volume. Yeah, so um, it, it's funny because, um, yeah, Sam mentioned about the, the difficulty in getting zines um, back in the day. And I, I, being based in the UK, <laughs> have a similar experience and a similar story. But um, recently <laughs> I made friends with another British fan who is give or take my age. Uh, so <laughs> she has the same background as me, but somehow at the time was able to get hold of this mother load of fanzines that she just had stored in her attic. Um, Emma Fee uh, is just mm. fantastic and uh, a credit to fandom. And we, we've been chatting for a while and she'd been kind of suggesting she might scan them in so that I could borrow them and have a look at them. And, and there'd be occasions where she ended up becoming one of my proofreaders. And um, there was occasions where she was proofing and she might come and saying, yeah, I'm not sure this is right. Or I, I've got some extra information. And she'd take a quick photo of something. And it was like, Emma, you, you, you can't just keep teasing me. We've got to find a way of getting <laughs> it. <to laughs> yeah. So um, in the end, she she lives about as far away from London as I do, but in the opposite direction. And oh uh, she was visiting a friend in London about a month or so back. Uh, so, so we basically, uh, we agreed. She, she went down for the weekend, took a rucksack with her full of, um, these fanzines. Wow. I popped up after work one day, met her for a coffee, grabbed these fanzines off her. Now these are old fanzines. I promised to keep them in good condition, but it was so hard on the train journey home not to just keep opening up my bag and going, <laughs> Oh, sure. Yeah. I don't want to damage these, but oh my God. It's like Pulp Fiction, the, the, the light first... just shines on your face from the rucksack. And, you mm -hmm. know, it's like... <laughs> well, the first thing I opened was The Observer, issue one. I opened page one, and it's got a whole description of the, the, the fire that I described in one sentence in the first edition in, uh, I think it's Black and White on Fire. I've got a, there's a line in the first edition that says, oh, the, the week before this aired, there was an arson attack on Universal Studios. And that, that's literally what there is. There's this article at the time written by people that were there saying, these are all the sets that were destroyed and this is their relationship to Quantum Leap. Boom, wow. immediately, I've got material for the first... I'm like, I, I've literally just opened up one page. And this is the stuff where it it's not only 
new information. It's information. It's new old information. And that is that that is like gold dust because uh, one of the reasons that I do the citations and I do the quotations that I do is because 25, 30 years have passed and mm. we have to have a, a, a healthy level of cynicism when when you see people saying, I was there 30 years ago, this is what I recall. I don't want to be the sure. one saying this happened. What I would much rather do is say, this actor who was on a, a one-week job 30 years ago remembers this happening. And you can then take it however you want as a reader, how how much weight you want to put behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. That's just the nature of this kind of thing. Being able to um, take those quotes that were at the time and put those into context, suddenly it becomes much more immediate and much more much more reliable. So all of that data, and that, that goes back to this point of, again, not, not wishing to sound pretentious, this kind of story that I want to weave about the production of Quantum Leap. Suddenly it is, it's a live story of how it happened as it was happening throughout all five seasons. And a lot of that has come from those, those fanzine interviews, which are just amazing. And not just the interviews as well, but the some of the just the on-the-spot reporting and people saying things like, oh, yeah, I, one of the cool things I discovered, um, people uh, writing in after one strobe over the line got aired saying, oh, yeah, yeah, the first broadcast was just completely messed up. Um, there was like a whole chunk that was repeated and a whole chunk that was skipped out. In all my oh, years wow. of looking at message boards and things like that, never came across that, but multiple different fanzines reported on it at the time that basically until it was rerun on USA, no one had seen one strobe over the line in the US properly. Wow. That oh, is interesting. That is so Just, incredible. And, and and I love the fact too, you know, you, you make a great point about how important the contemporaneous accounts are to be able to have that information from when it happened. And while, yeah. you know, certainly like the, the added perspective and benefit of, you know, those extra years and getting the distance from certain events can certainly be, be helpful to be able to, to, to know what was said kind of in the moment or shortly after the fact is, I mean, it's so valuable. And I mean, you, you said gold dust, and you're absolutely right. I mean, to be able to have that type of information adds a new layer uh, to, to so much. And and again, you know, we've said ad nauseum on the podcast, but context for us is just so incredibly important to be able to contextualize the episodes when they were written, when they, you know, when they were set, yeah. and, and and now from, from our vantage point. And I think that that just helps to add um, so much of that incredibly valuable context to the production of the series. Uh, now, something that I would ask, and, and I don't want to frustrate you or cause you to, you know, gain gray hairs, but in in the treasure trove of information that you've received and all this new information you have to call from, are you finding that there are more gaps that you would love to fill down the road knowing, you know, that I don't have this now, but I know that I'm missing, you know, issue four or, or, or whatever. Is there is there more out there that you're still hope hoping to find and use perhaps down the road there's so in terms of actual fanzines there's a handful um there's definitely a handful out there um there's a few early episodes of the observer that i don't have um but but for the most part i've got i've got quite a complete collection the the question that i thought you were going to ask was at at the end of the first edition there uh, there was a lot that i knew i didn't know there was a lot of gaps in my my knowledge of Quantum Leap that I just didn't know I didn't know, but there was also stuff that I knew I didn't know. Is there anything now <laughs> that I know that I don't know? 
and it, it's remarkably little. Mm. If, if there is, and I'm sure there's extra stuff out there that I don't know. I don't claim to be an oracle by any means, but I'm now getting to a point where actually I, I'm struggling to find any any questions that I don't have answers to, which is mm. quite a quite an unusual place to be in. And that's why wow. I feel much more confident publishing the second edition than I did with the first, <laughs> where I just thought, I got a load of open questions. I'm never going to find out answers. And um, now I have. That's, yeah. uh, that's incredible. That's incredible. So the, the, the biggest thing that has happened in Quantum Leap since uh, your first edition came out, like second only to the new series coming out, is that 2017, 2018, Allison of the QLP podcast, she quite accidentally stumbled upon evidence of the long lost alternate ending that Don Belisario and everybody else swore that was right. that, 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 that wasn't not even shot, but it wasn't even genuinely written yeah. by the production. So I'm, I'm curious, like what information you were able to pull out about like the, like the, the shooting of that scene and, and like how close that came, if at all to actually ever being used. Well, there's, it's one of those things. It's, um, yeah, so many different bits to that story. And this is a perfect example of this puzzle piece that I've had to put together um, across a lot of Quantum Leap. But, yeah, very particularly with that that final, um, those final scenes is, yeah, all these little bits that have come to light. So we, we know that scene with Beth was filmed. We, we've seen it. There's the questions about the uh, the the space bar scene that allegedly followed, which we've since found. So since 2016, um, Richard Hurd shared with me a shooting script, uh, a shooting schedule, sorry, a shooting schedule that included the space bar scene. So that was, that was another like, wow. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it reads, it's in the script and it reads terribly. So we all thought it was a joke, <laughs> but it's actually on, yeah. it, it's on the shooting schedule on day eight. So it was, it was meant to be the final bit that they filmed. Uh, but all all suggestions point to the fact that that was never filmed and certainly nobody involved in it. Every time we get the chance to ask anyone, whether it's Deborah or, or Richard or anyone else, nobody seems to remember it. So that probably didn't happen. Um, and we spoke to Susan Deal recently. Uh, she said she, she thinks that was a rehearsal that maybe got filmed, but it looks, it looks very professional for a rehearsal. It, it's still there's still a lot of mystery around it, but that's one of those things where there's there's probably a, a page and a half in Beyond the Mirror Image all about that ending, and it's actually it's not just about a scene; it's about two scenes. It's about a shooting schedule from Richard Hurd. It's about uh, a, a set of photo negatives that Allison found. It's about a scene that leaked onto Reddit, uh, and it's about quotes from everyone about it. And trying to to weave that into a single coherent piece has been a lot of fun. And then there's the fact, and this this is the bit that I still, I said I've got very few questions outstanding. This is the bit that I still cannot get my head around. There is evidence that Beckett was not misspelt everywhere it was broadcast. Mm-hmm. And that is doing my head in. <laughs> um, <laughs> se- several people remember it. I've gotten off air from Philadelphia um, and mm-hmm. I've spoken to the guy, um, which I, I hadn't done last time I discussed this anywhere. So this is actually, this is new information. Um, I've now spoken to the guy who recorded that off air and he said, 
I did not make any alterations. There's not a fan edit. That's nothing. I literally, I've had that tape kicking around for 20 years. I captured it. I shared it. What you're seeing is what was broadcast. And and Beckett has two T's in it. I, I don't know how. I can't explain <laughs> it. But somebody from the other side of the country says she remembers that. Um, there was a news group at the time um, that somebody posted in in uh, Australia and New Zealand, would have been like six months later, saying that they saw it with two T's. I know seeing it in the UK, it had one T. Mm. It's that is a mystery. How did it get fixed in some territories? Yeah, that, I mean, especially that on first broadcast. I mean, it, this is like, you know, my, my understanding of the way that the affiliates would have worked back then is that NBC centrally would have beamed this out by satellite to all the different parts of the US, and somehow Philadelphia and maybe a couple of others fixed it well so that is that is that is only a half truth based on what i know about television production and this comes this comes from my 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 wrestling background is that there are there there were certain places that did not necessarily have the capabilities to receive those transmissions at a high enough quality so that there would have actually been tape masters that were still posted to certain places so they would get a they would get an actual tape as opposed to getting you know a satellite feed um and 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 i don't know that philadelphia was one of those places so this might be a dead end but i do know that there were certain because i know again from my wrestling memphis was one of those places like memphis did not have the same capabilities up until probably like you know mid 90s so they would still get tapes of all of these things I didn't know that was happening at that point. That that's fascinating, and that's possibly an answer. That yeah, yeah it's um, maybe they they beamed out the the incorrect spelling, <clears throat> fixed it, and that's what ended up getting mailed out. My Although goodness. you would almost think that it would have to be the other way around, right? Wouldn't that make more sense? That's so strange. It's so strange, though. It is fascinating to think about how that could have possibly happened, yeah. um, and you know. It's also fascinating to think that here we are now, you know, 30 years after the fact, and we're able to have a conversation like this. Because again, in in, in all the years of my fandom, I don't ever recall that being something, and I'm sure it was, but just in, you know, in my own memory, I don't recall that ever being something that was said on the message boards or in any of the news groups or anything that I was a part of. Uh, and, and, and so hearing about it now, it does feel like this new information. And and it's strange to even think that we're talking about quantum leap in the same way that I would imagine some people, I think the stakes are a little higher in this instance, but in the same way that some people are talking about evidence of lost episodes of Doctor Who, right? You know, like, yeah. and, and it's just kind of like, man, here we are, like having this conversation about quantum leap. And it's just so cool to me that, you know, that there are these mysteries that still exist about a show that's been off the air for 30 years that we love so much and, and that we're only now getting around to putting some of these pieces together. And let's face it, a lot of that has to do with the research that you've been able to do. And I think that that's the other element you mentioned when we first started talking is by just by virtue of producing the first volume, you've gotten attention from people that have new information to give you. Yeah. And it reinforces how important it is to have that vibrant community around, you know, that fandom be active and engaged because there's so much that we can share with one another that goes even far beyond just saying like, I like this episode. I didn't, you know, that there's, that there's a deeper conversation (laughs) that can be had. Yeah. What I've been truly amazed by, is the amount of people that have stepped forward um, with information, thoughts, memories, documents, um, 
Yeah, so much. And, you know, also the chance to speak to people like Deborah Pratt, which has been fantastic. And that obviously, I, I, I've sent her a couple of gentle emails during the production of the first edition. And she said, oh, that sounds lovely. Best of luck. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. And, you know, now, now I've actually been able to get some, some information out of her. But um, yeah. And see her hold up a copy of and, the book. <laughs> that made my life um but yeah i mean at, at the end of the day De- deborah's like a- anybody else in the business it, it was a long time ago and she can't be expected to remember everything fans by their nature a lot of us are nerds <laughs> and we have stuff documented and um yeah the 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 fact that so many people um my thanks to section in this edition has just exploded because so many people have stepped forwards either to say oh, I spotted you got that wrong, here's the actual truth. Or to say, oh, hey, why didn't you cover this? Because I had no idea it existed, please tell me more. And um, yeah, people have been so willing to share and be helpful. Is there anything... Go ahead, Dennis. Is there any new piece of information that you learned that, that just totally blew your mind, changed your perspective on the series in some way, either from a production standpoint or a personal standpoint, uh... I'm just interested. It's a good question. And you know what? This has been such an iterative process over the last six years. Probably <laughs> would have happened if I'd have done everything in the space of two weeks. Um, but mm-hmm. a, a, every every new bit of information I've learned, I've been excited about it for about a day and then moved on. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. honestly, it, yes, but don't ask me to quote anything right now. Because there oh, is sure. just, the, there's, it, yeah, there's so much. Um, I, I forget a lot about what's new. Sure. Well, I think too that you know you're not you're not necessarily constructing like a narrative history of the production of the show, you know. And I think in terms of that, it makes total sense. Like you said, that it would be like this is amazing. On to the next one, because you're just you're you know you're having to get all of this information together and put it into obviously yeah. a, you know a format which is which is readable, which is you know something that people can enjoy and people can have. But it but it it's like with historians, you know, who are writing about you know, some sort of historical event, like you'll hear sometimes about how, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get a nugget of information and everything now hinges on that. Like, it's like, that was my key, you know, my turnkey. That was everything that was in. And I feel like yeah. in a way for you, it's just the virtue that quantum leap exists is the turnkey. And so everything that you are able to learn, like it makes sense that it would be that that's exciting. But again, it's just on to that next piece of information. Like that makes that, so that makes yeah. a lot of sense to me. And And a lot of what's excited me about this has been getting the the new quotes and the, the extra actually there's one bit i will share with you in a moment um it has been getting the, the new quotes and things like oh wow in the first edition uh there, w- there was nothing from kimberly cullum and finding an interview with kimberly cullum was just like yes excellent we have quotes from kimberly cullum and didn't matter what she said although she said some interesting things um even if she hadn't said anything interesting that in itself was was very exciting um no, one, one thing I will share with you um, is I, I've recently started braving the world of doing my own interviews, um, which is something <laughs> that I, I just flat out refused to do uh, in the original. And um, I interviewed the guy that was, he was the guitarist in the band in The Plays The Thing. Mm. So he, uh, he he's a genuine guitarist in real life, and he was brought in to be... I don't know if it counts as an extra, but basically a non-speaking role in the band playing his guitar. And 
he shared with me, oh, I can't remember the, the main actress's name from that episode, um, the, the woman that plays Penny, but she, she was, mm-hmm. she was hired in because she was like a, a Tony winning actress. Um, and clearly it was a, it was an episode that required singing. And what he shared with me was that um, it, they, they got her to record all her own stuff. And then in the edits, they found that despite the director keep pushing her to be less show tuny because that's that was her background <laughs> and be a little bit more like rough and rocky, um, she just couldn't manage it. And they ended up dubbing all of her stuff. So even though they brought her in because she's a singer, it's not her singing in the place wow. of thing. And that, that to me, you'll see... Um, it's an interview I ended up recording for the podcast and we haven't released it yet, but you will see my jaw drop when he, when he reveals that. It's like, what? Hang on. How did I not know this? Um, And I'm sure there's a million other things like that where I just discovered these little nuggets and went, wow. And then moved on. But it's, it's that, that kind of thing that just, yeah. Mind blowing at the time for a particular thing. Do you, do you feel like, you know, now that you've, and, and and before I say this, like, do you even feel as though things are complete at this point? Like, I know that there's still some work to be done on the first volume, but because, the, you know, with the, with the revival series and with the, the work that you're going to do, you know, potentially in the second volume as well, like, you don't feel like you're done yet, right? Like, you feel like there's still work to, to do uh, to finish this edition, right? So the, the first edition... It's definitely in a kind of tidying up place. Um, it, it's at the point now where I was at with the first edition when I launched the Kickstarter campaign. So mm-hmm. I launched the, the first edition Kickstarter campaign because I was very nervous about going out there and doing it. I waited until I was at a point where I said, look, if all else fails, it's in a position now where I could just go to press tomorrow and it wouldn't be perfect, but it would do. And I, I I could not be one of those Kickstarter people that just launched it and said, hey, I'm working on something, follow right. me. I didn't have the confidence. This time around, I did that a little bit more. I did it mid-edit. And um, and then, of course, yeah, I had to roll back a lot and do a lot of re-editing and rework because of the, um, the fanzines. But I am now back at that point where it it's in publishable form. It definitely needs design work. It definitely needs some tidying up. And there's a few bits of fact checking that I need to do um, on various different topics, but it's it's getting there. It's very close. My ninety percent of my time doing quantum leap stuff in front of the computer is now on volume two. Okay, I'm, I'm, my head is very much in volume two right now. Fantastic. So tell us a little bit about what is your plan for the new series? You know what? In the time in the timeline. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just want to interrupt you real quick because I, 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 I definitely, yes, I want to get there. But before we do it, there, there was something that I, I wanted to ask about, uh, um, you know, knowing of course that that's where it is, uh, uh, with the, with the first volume, do you feel yourself personally as kind of like this repository of knowledge about quantum leap, like the classic series specifically, or do you feel more like 
you've written this book, and this book stands as kind of a testament to your work, but you yourself personally don't necessarily feel like if you were in a room full of quantum leap nerds that you're the smartest guy in the room? Or do you kind of feel, and I don't, I, I know that that's a weird question to answer, but, but, or do you, do you feel kind of like, I know these things, like these are in my bones, or do you just more feel like I've created this thing and this thing is kind of the repository of the knowledge? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of different ways to approach that. Um, firstly, just from a purely practical way, I have a terrible memory. And that that was one of the other things that, that prompted this book. I, I There was a bunch of stuff I knew about the show, and I wanted to write it down somewhere. So, no, I, I'm... <laughs> I dread it when I'm talking to people and they say like, oh, hey, you, you're a fan of Quantum Leap. Can you tell me what was happening in scene 36 in episode 28? And, and you know, yeah, did, did why was Al doing this and whatever? Um, yeah, I, I have to refer to the book. Um, yeah. So part, partly it is a tool for me. Um, I, honestly, one of the reasons why I asked that question is because I feel very similarly. Like, I feel as though there's almost an expectation sometimes that because we have this podcast that we know lots of things about Quantum Leap. And for me, it's just kind of like, again, the community, like seeing the conversations that take place on Twitter and Facebook and that sort of stuff. I'm just sort of like, whoa, these people know so much more than I do. And I love that because it's like, I'm learning things, but, but you know, it it is weird because you do almost feel like this expectation being in this position that, that, you know, you're supposed to know things. And instead I, I sort of just feel like I, the podcast is what I that's that's what there is. And sometimes like I have to refresh my memory. You know, we we did the bit for for the Quantum Leap podcast with a little miracle. I had to listen to you know just little bits and pieces of our original episode because I mm-hmm. had no recollection really of what I said or what I talked about. And 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 so I think that it's just interesting it's the way sometimes that I, I think creative people do work. You, you almost have to like you do the thing and you move on as opposed yeah. to hoping to achieve some sort of like status or you know you're not a professor you know what i mean it's like the text stands as opposed to it being this yeah the, this instructive thing maybe thank you that is that has put into words really well how i've been feeling the last few years <laughs> I, I, I i've not been able to to word it that well before but it's yeah it's exactly that uh, i i certainly never intended to elevate myself to any position of authority um and i don't feel like i'm in any position of authority <laughs> um i feel very fiercely proud and protective of the book sure um because i know at the time i was working on the particular page that you're looking at i was right focused in the zone and whatever yeah. is in there is correct in as much as it's as well researched as possible and if it's a quote from someone that is what they said and you can take it however you want which is why I find citations so important. Um, but that is the the book. Yeah. I, I think it's an amazing book. I can't quite believe that I wrote it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a very separate thing to me. I, 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 yeah, I love that. I really do. And I, I think that that's one of the things you have to kind of approach the, the work sometimes, especially when you gain any sort of visibility. And again, it's, I mean, we're talking about like a, a quantum leap podcast, which is a niche within a niche within a niche. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, right. it's like quantum leap sci-fi, you know, there's so much, but it's such a small thing. But at the same time, it's like when you do uh, approach that, I think that it's wonderful to be able to have that kind of understanding, that humility. And, and, and it, again, it adds to the texture of that, that sort of communal aspect of it. And, and with other fandoms, 
sometimes seeing the way that things get spiraled a little bit out of control. It's just nice to know that the people yourself specifically that are producing stuff that is so incredibly important, I feel like to the fandom, uh, uh, that, that for you, yeah, it's about the book. It's not about you. And I love that. Dennis, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of felt like we were with the, the flow. The, the, the flow, I wanted sure. to go that way with the conversation, but please ask your question because no, I think sure. it's brilliant. So, no, the, so my question is like, what is your plan for the new series? It only gets one season versus it gets renewed for a second season and maybe hopefully beyond. So I, yeah, I've got a plan A and a plan B. So my, <laughs> my plan A was, um, so I, I was always working on this this second edition, which was going to be two volumes, um, the the main series and the appendix. I escalated that early this year when the new series got announced. Like, right, I'm I'm going to have to get this out. So the plan was um, first uh, volume one, yeah, late this year. It's now going to be early next year about the original series. Then volume two will be the new series and the appendices which all seemed fine. Then I realized that I think subconsciously somewhere I was just um, assuming, uh, not not even really consciously, I was assuming that um, the show would only run one season. <laughs> and I started thinking, okay, well, hang on, what if it gets renewed? So I do, a, I do a volume two in 2023 that's the new series plus the appendices, but what happens a year later? Do I reissue volume two slightly expanded and then reissue it again a year after i don't want to do that to the fans so if it if it does get renewed for a second series which everything crossed it will do i will split those out into two volumes so we have volume one which is the original series volume two which will be a very slim volume covering the new series and volume three covering the appendices and then what that does is gives me a slim volume two that i can reissue each year and fans can can pick up the new version or not but it will be a lot cheaper than volume one and volume three because it will just be a, a much smaller volume and um you know i've seen a lot of episode guides uh like the the ones that virgin were putting out in the 90s for buffy and angel and things mm-hmm. like that, that did that and it's mm-hmm. they're, they're reasonably cost effective to do so that's my my plan b which i really hope becomes my plan a because i would i would love to have a three volume version that, because i would love to have more of the new series fantastic so yeah. basically you have your out you have 10, maybe 20 leaps. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> before, before, you, before you get there. Um, so we need to start, we're, we're going to start working towards, towards wrapping up pretty soon. But I know you give us like a little bit of a rough timeline of like when you hope this next, this next volume comes out. Uh, and just kind of get, if for, you know, like we said on, on, on the other half of this podcast on QLP, like for the three people who do not, who listen to face wide <laughs> wheel, but don't listen to QLP, uh, more information about you where people can find you online. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, volume one, uh, um, the, the, the volume on the original series, the 800 pages, uh, will be out quarter one next year. Um, probably February. Uh, there was a Kickstarter campaign for that, which is over, um, so it was on pre-order only. The idea is this deluxe version goes out quarter one next year, and then a bit later next year, a slightly less deluxe version goes out on print-on-demand. Um, at the moment, early December, um, I can still take pre-orders for it. So although the Kickstarter campaign's over, um, if anyone would like to email me, 
Um, they can find my contact details at quantumleapinfo.net. And what we can do is get you on the pre-order list. And um, and yeah, then you'll get one of the deluxe Kickstarter versions in January, February time. Um, and then, yeah, that moves to print on demand later on in the year. And then, yeah, volumes two and three, definitely next year at some point. Sure. Um, if if volume two is just the slim volume for the new series, I want to get that out within a couple of weeks of the new series finishing. So I'm I'm trying to work along with the new series mm. so that I've got it in draft uh, as close to publishable as possible. And then the second the final episode drops, I'm just rapidly wrapping it up and it comes mm. out soon after that. If it ends up being that bigger volume that includes the appendices, it may be a few months later, but... Yeah, that that's something to keep keep an eye on Kickstarter for. Fantastic, and we didn't even mention like aside from QLP, you and BTMI, you have your own website that you developed when the new series was announced, quantumleapinfo.net. Yes, yeah. So that was um, that was something I put together uh, when yeah when the new series got announced. <clears throat> there was a lot of rumors flying around, and I just wanted to pull together every bit of information I could. And that was me again with my very nerdy head on. There was very little information out there, and I was able to find things like, well, okay, here's the studio that it's going to be made at. And because we know this, we know the capacity of the studio, we know how many floors the studio is on, how many offices it's got. I was putting all that kind of information out there because I was desperate for something. For sure. um, but yeah, quantumleapinfo.net has become the the main resource for news and um and updates. And I'm I'm doing a lot of work on it during the gap to uh bring that bring that up to date. And um yeah, do do a lot of rumor control through it. For sure. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think it was important, and it was such a valuable site to have. And I know that you know Dennis and I were fortunate enough to be in a position to to help a little bit, you know, with, with contributions and stuff. But like, honestly, like even beyond that, any sort of personal stake, it was it was so important. Uh, I think just to the to the fandom, to the community, and to us specifically, that we were able to have uh, the opportunity to 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 have kind of that one stop shop with all the latest you know information. And there were times with Dennis and I, because you know Dennis and I were trying to, our best to stay on top of things too, right, and get like information like yeah. as soon as we possibly could. And there were times where we would go and be like, man, how did he get that so fast? Because we would have something and we would be expecting to be like, oh, we should send this to Matt. And then all of a sudden you'd already have it. We'd be like, all right, well, like it's 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 there. <laughs> yeah, I think um, my, my proudest moment there was pipping the uh, announcement of Mason to the post by about two or three hours. Yeah. Um, because uh, Ray suddenly started following them on Instagram. And yes. uh, it was like... Ah, non-binary actor there. That's that's interesting. Oh, well, you shared that with us, and, and, and as soon as you shared it, it was just sort of like that's cool. Like that's and that's and that's again, that's kind of that type of investigative work that I, I think that I hope that you're really proud of because it, not only in terms of uh, of the new series, but just in terms of the book itself. Like you clearly you have the mind for that. You have you know you have the the work ethic for it, and 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 I think that the wonderful thing is is that we as a fandom and a community we get to benefit from that. So thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. And and please uh, jump back to what we said earlier. I think you would be perfectly qualified to to write the oral history of Quantum Leap. Uh, I would love to hear it. I would love. Uh, some people on the show are so nice they wouldn't tell us the yes. juicy bits. But <laughs> uh, but I would I would love to read that. And I think you're perfectly qualified to to get there. If uh, hopefully if the new series like starts generating interest and actually having more volumes of, of quantum leap stuff. Yeah, that, that would be something that would be amazing to get to at some point, maybe after my, uh, my sequest DSV guide, uh, which 
been a okay. running joke in my head for years. <laughs> one, 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 one last question before we let you go, uh, and before you let you, we let you plug all the things uh, uh, and, and everything. Uh, I do have to ask when it comes to the new, new series, uh, and kind of going off of what Dennis just said, how much new interest do you think the new series has generated for the classic series? Um, I hope a lot. Um, I mean, uh, the, the only insight I can share with you is, and you guys were a part of this, so maybe this is uh, more insight for the audience, is the level of interest in BTMI, which <laughs> for the first edition, um, I had a, a much slow, a much lower threshold that I was a much lower target that I was aiming for. Uh, and we got there in like a couple of days of, of launching this time around for various reasons it was a much higher target and uh we managed to hit that within a few hours and i think i've pre-sold about three times as many copies and yeah my name's out there a bit more the quantum leap podcast helps a little bit you guys are always talking about me but i really think a lot of the reason that it it tripled in pre-order volume is because of the new series making people think ah i remember that show from years ago i i want to buy a book about it to refresh my memory so I, I I think maybe not as much new interest from new fans who weren't born at the time looking back, or hopefully there, there were, but I think maybe a, a lot of those casual fans from back in the day that have forgotten the series, being reminded of it and, and going back and properly looking at them again. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's fascinating to me because we've had the opportunity to speak to a couple of people uh, who've mentioned that they're watching it with their children. Uh, not the not the new series. I mean, they are, but they're also watching the classic series with them as well. Amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's just so cool. And 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 hearing and hearing the fact that like, you know, there's a 17 year old boy in Montreal, Canada, for instance, who's experiencing the classic series for the first time. Like, that's just so cool. And, yeah. and to know that they're enjoying it, because I know for me being a fan, like there is that there's a sense of almost trepidation where it's like, will they like it? And it was almost similar with Doctor Who. I remember during, you know, in 2005, there was this part of me that was just sort of like, wow, there's going to be a lot of people that watch this. They're going to go back and watch the classic series. How are they going to feel? You yeah. know, and, 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 and luckily it seems like people are, are enjoying it, you know, and like it. And we're hearing the good stuff anyway, which is nice. Good. Yeah. Good. I hope so. Yeah. So where can people find you, Matt? And, and, and more importantly, you know, uh, where specifically you, you mentioned, obviously that they can still get it. Where specifically can they go to purchase, uh, beyond the mirror image? Uh, so all my links are available from quantumleapinfo.net. Um, obviously I'm a member of the quantum leap podcast team, which is at quantumleappodcast.com. Um, but yeah, um, both my, my new site and the book are, are linked to from quantumleapinfo.net. Um, and I'm also on Twitter as Matt underscore Dale, uh, where I occasionally talk about QL as well. Awesome. Matt, thank you well, so Matt, much. It was wonderful having you on the show. Let it not be another five years. Yeah, let's talk again soon. I love talking to you guys. I know. Yeah, I really yeah. want to do it again soon because I didn't even get to ask you about like the comics and the novels and any new information about that. And, you know, you'll have to read the book, listeners. Uh, but uh, I really that's want to talk more about that. That's volume two. So yeah. that, that's a good enough reason to talk mm -hmm. about that. 
Awesome. Awesome. Matt, thank you again so very much. Uh, make sure, again, as, as we've said before many times, even when we don't have one of their co-hosts on the podcast, make sure you're checking out the Quantum Leap podcast. Uh, you know, if anything, just for multiple perspectives on the show uh, and uh, and follow Matt. He's fun and uh, he'll often chime in with some really cool stuff on Twitter, uh, uh, including showing off his broken Dalek prop from Remembrance of the Daleks. See how I brought it full circle there? <laughs> Professional. All right, Dennis, get us out of here. Uh, uh, where can people find us and what should they do when they want to find us? Or am I going to edit this oh, out later because we're going to record a wraparound independent of this? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll record it just in case when we edit it out. Find us at uh, fateswidewheel.com, fateswidewheel on all the socials, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. We're also on Discord. I got to figure out how to invite people on the Discord because that thing, uh, the invite link changes every few days. But uh, we're also on Hive now too. Uh, we're we're just throwing ourselves all over the place, like ju- like just in case Twitter one day actually burns to the ground, like everybody's saying that it's going to. Uh, but start off at fateswidewheel.com um, and Twitter for right now. Like those are the biggest places, and TikTok as well at fateswidewheel. And yeah. Should we leap out of here? Play us out, Sam. Leap out of here. Thank you all so much for listening. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Uh, And in the meantime, always remember to leap responsibly. Can we?